Welcome back to another episode of On My Grown, the podcast. I'm your co-host, Rodney Boyd. I'm your co-host, Melanie Mitchell. And we are back for another week, guys. Uh, This week, we have a guest joining us. Um, You know, we're kind of limited on time, and I want to make sure you all get the most information as possible. So today we have Tani Powell, correct? Yep. Uh, Joining us from Committed to Communities. Uh, Tani, if you could just tell our audience a little about yourselves, a little about yourself, and um oh well my apologies today's topic is buying your first home uh, i mm-hmm. think we're in, we're entering that age range um where a lot of people are are first time homeowners and so i think this is something that's very important for our for our, our, our audience uh so tony's here to help kind of bring us uh, the knowledge but if you if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself sure yeah um so my name's tony i have been teaching home buyer education and doing home buying counseling for about seven or eight years now. Um, it was my first big time job outside of grad school. I really wanted to focus in community development and that led me to home buying. Um, I work for a nonprofit. I love what I do. I'm originally from Boston, but I have been here in Atlanta for 11 years. So this is, wow. yeah, this is home. And I've seen a lot change in the real estate, residential real estate market in Atlanta. Awesome. I've been here for 11 here. years as well. Exciting. So you came around the same time when, when crank that was top of the charts, much simpler time. <laughs> Definitely. So, um, can you kind of give a little more just, uh, in depth for our audience? What is committed to communities? What are the services you all um, provide, um, and how they may contact you? Cause we have a large, uh, listenership in Atlanta. Totally. Yeah. Um, so committed to communities, I want to give a little bit of a background. Our history is a little bit different as to what we are today. Um, and I think that's really interesting as a backdrop of where we've come from. Um, in 2011, committed to communities began as basically a neighborhood open house tour event um, that would happen like a few times a year, specifically in Southwest Atlanta in neighborhoods like West End and Adair Park, Pittsburgh, um, Capitol View. And the goal was in Oakland City. And the goal was to kind of put these neighborhoods back on the map from a residential real estate perspective, because that's where a lot of the foreclosures happened um, in 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10. So there were a ton of homes that were vacant um, that were still in great shape. And so a bunch of like real estate agents, developers, investors, lenders got together and decided to partner to try to rebuild interest in these neighborhoods. Um, so yeah, and I think that was really needed. And shoot forward to 2015 is when I came on board because we realized that at that point the market had changed. We'd gotten a lot of interest over here. Prices were coming back up. We were getting some of our values back. And what we really needed is somebody on the ground here to do outreach to the people who've been renting here for years. Um, to try to make it possible for them to become homeowners in these neighborhoods that they've been renting in for years while it was still affordable. So that's been my role for the last almost three years. Um, I present at different neighborhood meetings and NPU meetings, and I network a lot with local business owners, um, just community leaders, whether they're like, you know, the neighborhood president or just a really influential person in a community. Um, just to make sure people know we're here and what we offer. And so to get to that point, what we do offer largely, I do a lot of one-on-one consultations with, um, prospective home buyers and that could be with an individual or a couple. 
Um, it usually includes a lot of like credit counseling, maybe money management guidance. I help people understand what kinds of down payment assistance programs are out there and also like what different loan types are available if they want to do a renovation loan or they just want to buy something moving ready. Um, all kinds of stuff in terms of the differences and different types of mortgages. And uh, I also do monthly renovation workshops. So we actually have one this Saturday. We have another one in July. Um, our website is committed to communities.com and two is T-O. Um, and so that workshop is qualifies for Invest Atlanta down payment assistance for their renovation program. So people would learn how to both get a mortgage that would cover the cost of a property as is, but also roll in the costs of renovating the property to get it up to like their dream home, what that might look like. Um, so there's a lot involved in that process. So we do 90 minute workshops on that process once a month. Um, yeah. And that's largely the services we offer. We do do some occasional home buyer education classes and financial education classes. Um, but those are more occasional. Uh, the first two is what I mentioned is pretty consistent. Pretty much all the time you can find us for counseling or for renovation class. Okay. So someone is from what I'm hearing, what you all doing the credit counseling, mm -hmm. someone can come to you, you know, when they're just kind of interested in buying a home, but they're not ready yet. I would say, yeah, like if they think they're interested, but they might not be ready for like a year or two or even three, I still think now is a great time to get started. Um, it, For example, even having all the knowledge that I have, it took me three years to get financially ready to buy a home. So I think it's good to start now, even if you think, oh, maybe in 2020, you know, or 2021, it's still great to get started now. That way, when that time comes, you're ahead of the curve, you know, and everything's taken care of. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. I'm trying to think of what question I want to ask if I want to like go off. Okay. We have to stay on the on topic. So, Hmm. You, you go ahead. Go ahead, Riley. Cause like, I don't, you know, I usually go off of the, the outline. So I'm trying to stay on track. Go ahead. You, you can just go ahead and ask. <laughs> this is like when y'all sharing answers in class and they're like, well, what you get? Uh, <laughs> Uh, so if you could kind of first just outline for us the steps that it takes to buy a home. Sure. Um, I actually have an activity that I do with my students in class and sometimes one-on-one. -on -one. So let's see if I can get this uh, for memory. <laughs> um, okay. First thing you definitely want to do is get yourself educated and prepare for home ownership. So that could mean one, taking a workshop or you know meeting someone like myself one-on-one, -on -one. but it could also mean doing whatever you need to do to boost your credit score, uh, saving for sure, which is probably the one area that people seem to struggle with a lot. Um, uh, understanding, you know, what your budget looks like. I think that, and that would be number two, is understanding what you can afford. So I think that a lot of times first-time homebuyers can get tripped up because they might go to a mortgage lender, the mortgage lender pulls their credit, they look at their income and they mm -hmm. say like, oh, okay, you can afford a mortgage of $200,000, right? Well, that individual may or may not really understand what that cost is monthly. And sometimes I think people tend to overspend. So if you're used to, you know, spending $800 a month on your rent, and now you're being told you can afford this mortgage that might be $1,200 in a mortgage, you know, there can be a big area of payment shock. 
So I think making sure you've got your budget down tight and you know what an increase like that could do to you and you want to know whether or not you want to take that or not is really important in terms of knowing what you want to spend monthly and then translate that monthly amount into a price that you should be shopping at. Um, so that would be number two, knowing your budget and knowing how much you want to spend. Um, third, you want to get your loan pre-approved. And so uh, sometimes lenders will do something called a pre-qualification, which is really just like a quick and dirty way for them to give you an idea of what you could be qualified for. I don't, I mm. don't recommend that because um, it's just not thorough. I recommend anybody doing a, pre, a full pre-approval, which would be include things like filling out an application, but then they're going to ask you to send them your last couple of months, your bank statements, your pay stubs, the last two years of your tax returns, you know, your social security card, like the blood of your firstborn, essentially like a whole list of things. But when you do that, you get your loan sent to underwriting first. And the underwriter is the person who will make the decision at the end of the day, whether or not you can get a mortgage. And if so, how much? So you really want to know that number up front. Um, Cause I've seen people not do that and then get under contract for a house. And then later on discover that actually the underwriter won't allow them to get a mortgage for however much they're under contract for. So you don't want to end up in that pickle. Um, so get be approved right up front. And then I think fourth, you really want to understand what you want, uh, know what you need. And then also what you want, um, especially before you engage a real estate agent, like you don't want them taking you all over the city to different houses or properties that are like widely different. You want to have an understanding of what it is that you need. And then if you can get a few of your wants in there, then two, then also that's awesome. Um, after you know what you want, then you'd hire a real estate agent to take you shopping. Uh, when you find a house that you really love, they're going to help you put together an offer. So you submit an offer on a property. If it gets accepted, now you're under contract. Um, once you're under contract for a home, you've got to hand over some earnest money, which is usually 1% of your purchase price. So like $2,000 for a $200,000 home or $1,500 for a $150,000 home. Um, then you want to get the house inspected. You want to get it appraised. Uh, as long as all that goes well, and in that time you have some room to negotiate, like if the inspection comes back with some things you don't like, you know, you can see if they'll do them or not, or bring the price down if they won't type of thing. Um, but if all goes well, then you want to just find some good homeowner's insurance and you end up at the closing table. Um, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't recommend people try to close in their lunch break, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> take like at least a half day and uh, get it closed and then you move in. Uh, I just laugh because <laughs> I remember when my parents closed on this house, we, my brother and I, we were there. For yes, hours. it can happen that way. And they, they kind of sold us like, oh no, it's going to take just a quick second. <laughs> I, was like, All right, All right. I made the mistake myself. I didn't, I told my boss like, oh, I have a closing. So he knew. But I thought, oh, I'll be in and out in an hour because oh, wow. my first closing was like that. My second closing was definitely not like that. I was there all morning until like lunchtime. So, yeah, it can happen. Something happens. I know my parents, when we bought this house, because like, I grew up in my first house. Like I, I was, was way before I was born. But this one, they just kept on making road trips because we were still in Miami when they closed on it. They closed on our house in December and then we didn't move until July. So we kind of like, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. we weren't. They, they wanted to wait for me to finish out the school year. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was crazy, but I do remember them like driving up. They would come, and then we, every like month or eight or we make a road trip out here to like move more stuff. We did a big move in July. Why wow, that was so long ago? I just feel so old. Um, okay, next question. 
Like, we kind of touched on, I'm sure, like, okay, so what step do you see a lot of people, like, struggle with, sure, like, credit or something would be it, because I know people's credits are prayer projects. So, yeah, and how they, like, avoid those issues. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's always me. I don't know what it is. I'm right by my um, router, too, and it's always issues with me. Um, okay, you know. Still, okay, so they hear nothing. Roddy, can you hear me? Oh, it's the thing. Uh, do you need to restart or something? We, we kind of prepped for time, but I wanted to come off weird. Well, 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 she said to answer this one, so. Oh, you can hear me? Okay. My question was uh, what step do you see a lot of people have trouble with? Like, I know credit, of course, probably be a factor. You know, credits are kind of right. And then, like, having to avoid these issues. Um, I would say two steps, um, that I see people having the most trouble with and credit is usually the first, uh, because it's, I think people think about credit a lot. We're all kind of concerned about our credit score. You know, we've all had often had issues with credit. We want to have like a 700 plus, right. Um, and that seems like the biggest, most daunting thing. Cause there's like a fixed score attached to it. Um, But I think that really like the sneaky second area that folks tend to have a lot of challenge with is savings. Um, I see, I always make a recommendation to everybody to have at least three months of their budget saved plus their home buying upfront expenses so that when they close, they have three months still in savings. Um, Now I can't require that of anybody and I can't, you know, forbid them from or prevent them from moving forward and buying if they don't have that amount. And I see a lot of folks moving forward without that and then sometimes having struggles post-closing because it's expensive. Um, I think that a lot of first-time homebuyers are not really aware and not always prepared for how much more expenses you have right after you close. Uh, And also the reality that stuff happens like, and it can happen in your first month. And I think a lot of people think, oh, that won't happen to me. And it it totally can and it totally will. so I would say savings is a big number two, or they're both equal. <laughs> savings and credit. Um, just real quick, I want to take a step back. Um, who do you get a mortgage from? Ooh, you can get a mortgage from a bank, or you can get a mortgage from a mortgage lending company. Um, you know, banks, big banks like Wells Fargo, Bank of America, or like a credit union. Um, you know, or like there are specific lending companies that that's all they do is mortgages, but they don't offer any kind of like deposit taking services. Um, so either one. Is there one you would recommend over the other? Um, we have, if you're in Metro Atlanta and especially if, uh, Actually, yeah, I'll just keep that at that. If you're in Metro Atlanta, um, we have a few partners that I really love that just do a phenomenal job um, with their mortgages and their service and just how quick and efficient they are. Um, One specific loan officer is named Russell Elam, and he's with Castle and Cook Mortgage. Um, Our second favorite is probably Nicole Roper, and she's at Regions Bank. And third, I would go to Bonnie Stewart, and she's at uh, Calcon Mutual Mortgage. They all do, well, the first and the uh, Russell and Bonnie both do down payment assistance. They both do renovation loans. Um, they do kind of, they run the gamut. But then um, uh, Nicole has some really unique products, especially for folks who 
make too much money for down payment assistance, but tr- don't really want to come out of pocket like ten to twenty thousand dollars. She's got a great product that can that is a hundred percent financing. Um, so basically, a buyer doesn't have to pay for the down payment. They're basically just paying upfront costs and closing costs, which can be really helpful, especially for a first time buyer. Um, and they're all just really phenomenal at what they do. How do you, how do I I guess get what my rate would be with, with are they do I go to like each lender and give like my information and they give me an offer how does that um if you wanted to have an idea of what your interest rate would be as of like today then I would recommend that you reach out to each one of them and submit an application um, once you do that they can pull your information together and give you like a basic loan estimate up front with a rate, but always know that your rate can fluctuate because the Fed, the federal rates can fluctuate any given day and their rates and their rate sheets can fluctuate multiple times a day. So that rate isn't necessarily guaranteed until you go under contract for a home and then you have the opportunity to lock in your rate if you would like to at whatever it is on that day. Does submit an application, does that affect my credit score? Yes, because okay. when you submit the application, you're also giving them authorization to pull your credit report. And right. so pulling the credit report will bring your score down at least, you know, four to six points or so. Okay. So mm-hmm. only go if I'm serious. I would say so, yeah, because you can pull your own score yourself. Um, annualcreditreport.com is the main resource that I send clients to to pull their own report for free. And also you can pay like 5 to $7 for a free fi- for a FICO score. Um, and I would suggest anybody go there if they really want an accurate FICO score. Uh, I know everyone loves Credit Karma, but the scores are not accurate. So don't pay attention to your score in Credit Karma because it doesn't really mean anything. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> Useful. Um, okay. So what are some like hidden costs that people aren't aware of when they save or preparing to buy a house? When they save or preparing to buy a house. Oh, wow. Um you know, your upfront costs, typically you're going to have to hand over earnest money within two days of going under contract. And that's 1% of your purchase price. The uh, cost of the inspection, the appraisal are probably four to 500 a piece. Um, and then your closing costs could typically be about 3% of your loan amount. So all of that added together, I don't know how much people are aware of those or not, but sometimes they're not. Um, but then some other costs like post-closing, especially if you buy a single family home, it's like everything. Like think of everything you might need for the house. Like it may not be painted the color that you want. So paint, you know, and that's easily like $50 a room or more if you get like really fancy paint. Uh, a lawnmower, like yard clippers, um, a, a, a water hose, you know, to water your plants, like every, a security system, pest control, well, you know, every little thing adds up. And I remember spending a lot of money right after I closed on my home because every time I turned around, there was something else that I needed. Like, even like outdoor chairs, like little pop-up outdoor chairs to sit outside on the porch. Like, oh, you know, we don't think about this stuff, but it adds up quickly. I, you could easily spend like $2,000 right after you close uh, if you buy a single family house. So, so... Yeah. Like just kind of given everything you just listed, home ownership may not be attractive to someone. Mm. Are there kind of some other options that you would suggest they look into? Or if you want a home, it it just comes with 
all yeah. of that back. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. So, um, and that's why I said specifically, like, if you buy a single family home, sometimes that's a dream for people, but sometimes folks just want to have a place that they can live in and invest in that there's not nearly as much maintenance. Um, so last year I sold my first home and did pretty well on my sale and bought myself a condo because I realized after two and a half years of owning a single family home as a single female, I don't really want to do all that work. (laughs) So, um, yeah, you can get a condo. I love my condo. I pay an HOA, but I love that I probably pay the same amount monthly as I was paying on all those things I just listed, like pest control, you know, lawn care, uh, security system. And now I have a gym downstairs and I have a pool that all I have to do is take an elevator to. So I love condo living. There's also townhouse living. If you kind of want something that feels more like a house, but is still not going to be as much maintenance, you know, you don't have to worry about gutters if you buy a townhouse, like someone else is just going to take care of them. Um, So those are really two like lower maintenance options, especially if you're young, if you're a young professional, if you're super busy and you just don't have time. Or if that's just not your bag, uh, I would still highly recommend either as a great way to have an asset and get in the game. Okay, yeah, cool. Uh, and, and I'm I, I'm glad you kind of you gave those other options because I've heard of other people saying like I'm not interested in home ownership because X Y Z. And mm-hmm. you know, I think how we were just kind of talking before we recorded, it's such a great way to build wealth mm-hmm. that um, we shouldn't kind of let some of the the small tasks of it, you know, get you out of it. It so is. Yeah, I'm team condo all day. <laughs> it's, it's such an easy living. <laughs> Mel, you want to do the next one? Mm-hmm. It's kind of triggering. I'm trying to ease into it. <sighs> so I know this is something that affects me, uh, myself. Like, how do student loans affect people buying houses? Ooh. Um, not as much and not as badly as I think folks might be afraid of, you mm-hmm. know? Um, student loans are looked at as a good debt, not a bad debt, um, in that, you know, a lending institution will look at it as it's a debt you took on to better yourself and better your income and your life rather than like a credit card that you just happened to rack up, you know, going out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so in one way, it's a good kind of debt. They would really look at what is your month, what are your monthly payments on your student loans? So relative to your gross monthly income. So anyone who goes to seek a mortgage, the mortgage lender is going to pull your credit report. They're going to look at your income annually, and they're going to come up with what they call your debt to income ratio. And that's going to be a ratio of your gross monthly income and how much debt you pay monthly um, on things that are on your credit report. So credit cards, any kind of loan on there. So the student loans would be incorporated into that debt to income ratio, um, but they don't necessarily hurt you any worse than any other type of debt. It's really just a matter of what the monthly payment is. Um, for example, I don't mind sharing this. I went to grad school and undergrad. I have pretty high balance in student mm-hmm. loans, but on an income-based repayment, my monthly payments are pretty manageable. So it didn't really harm me in my home buying process, you know, because the payment is manageable relative to my monthly income. Mm-hmm. So it's not really the overall balance, but it's what are you paying monthly and is that workable? Okay. <laughs> I I, Mel was saying, hmm, so I didn't know if she uh, 
No, I'm just I'm just think, thinking of how it would affect me and, and bills and whatever because I'm deferment shoddy right now. But uh, uh, yeah, probably not the best idea. But I'm a I'm a. Well, lenders, I'll go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was gonna say lenders. Yeah, lenders. If so, for example, that I'm glad you mentioned that. So, for example, if we have listeners who are like currently in a PhD program or something that's like two mm-hmm. plus years long and they have student loans but they're not currently paying on them because they're deferred in school. Um, lenders will only count a student loan if they're if it will be having to if it will have to be repaid within two years or less. If the payment due date is out more than two years, they won't consider it. Um, now, if you're out of school and it's instead it's in something like forbearance, they will have to create a basically like a uh, estimate of your monthly payment, and so that can hurt people. Um, I have clients who sometimes have come to the office and like, I see their loans are are forbearance and I say, well, we're going to have to get them on some kind of a payment because if there's no payment, the, by law, by federal law, the lenders have to use 1% of the total balance, which is higher than most people I know (laughs) and what they would pay. Um, So what I often have to sell folks in that case is we've got to get these back into repayment somehow. We can do income-based, we can do graduated. But there has to be a payment there because that payment is going to be lower than whatever the lender calculates as 1% nine times out of 10. Well, yeah. No, that definitely helped. I'm learning more than that I needed to learn because I never thought okay. like, I really factor that credit course, but like not really. Well, that's what all my grown is here to do, man. We, we're here to put the people on. Um, Kent, I, you, you kind of spoke on something earlier. Um, what are some ways that when you can save money when buying a home, such as grants, or what, what are some of the advantages of being a first-time home owner? Yeah. So um, in the city of Atlanta, in metro Atlanta, even in the state of Georgia, we have a number of different down payment assistance programs and grants that can help offset the cost for first-time buyers um, and for just also just like low- to middle-income buyers as well. Um, so invest Atlanta is a great resource. They have like, I want to say they have like six or seven or eight different programs, um, varied by income. So some are for folks, like if you're single, like some would be good for you if you're under like 42,000 a year, but they have ones that go up to like 65,000 a year. Um, and then we have Georgia dream, which is at the state level. So you could use that anywhere in the state, which goes up to, I think 71,000 a year. Um, and that will give you like $5,000 that could be used towards your down payment and your closing costs, um, which would just help you have to not have to come out of pocket as much. Um, and then there's one specific program that you can use if you want to renovate something from Invest Atlanta. And uh, the Atlanta Housing Authority also has a really good program um, for folks. I forget what the exact income level is, but they're all income-based. Um, and if folks want more of that information, you know, they can reach out to me if they're in Atlanta specifically. And I have a spreadsheet of all of them. I just don't know them all off the top of my head. <laughs> There's like 18 programs in the metro area. So I know some of them, but not all of them all the top of my head. Would you say for anyone in another city, just hop on Google or is there anywhere else that could help point them to? Um, if you're in another city or even another state, uh, I would direct you to hud.gov. That's H-U-D.G-O-V. <laughs> And under the resources tab, you'll see a link towards HUD approved housing counseling organizations. Um, if you click that link and then it'll give you a map of the U.S., you click on your state, it'll give you a list of all the HUD housing counseling organizations in your state. 
because the down payment assistance programs and grants are going to vary state by state. So you want to go to an organization that's local, that's going to know the local development authority and the housing authority and what they're offering where you live. Um, so and if you're in Georgia too, like they have ones that are in Augusta and Macon and Savannah, et cetera. So you can find somebody that's closer to you and cities themselves have their own programs as well. So. Okay. You sounded like, you sounded really like well rehearsed and as a, if we were making a commercial. <laughs> it was not intended. <laughs> I was just on the website today though. <laughs> that's why. No, I was like, I was like, look, she knows what she's talking about because no one, cause you don't want your person to be like, uh, uh, well, uh, uh, but yeah. <laughs> I was just on the website for HUD this morning with a client, okay. like guiding them through that process. So maybe that's why it's super fresh to me. I even yep. knew the tab to go to. <laughs> uh, Mel, I think it's your turn. I'm trying to think, okay, going with the flow and stuff. So like, is there like a tender for realtors or like, do you That's try to find it? It's good. Like how, how do you go about like idea. finding a realtor? For realtors. I love that. Um, maybe, maybe we're going to make it. I may be um, on something. I may be on something. going to be released because we're working on the <laughs> Right? Right. Um, not Start as far as I know. I don't think there's a, like a, anything like an app that specifically you can find realtors, but a lot of the big apps that exist for looking for homes like Realtor.com, Zillow, Trulia, Redfin, they all have an app and they all allow um, agents, you know, ad space. And then sometimes they showcase like top agents in an area. So for example, like one of my really close friends was the top uh, real estate agent for sales in 30310. And so he just kind of automatically got his face all over the, the listings in that area because he was the number one agent. Um so, I, I mean, you could do it that way. I like the idea of folks just getting good referrals, whether it's from a friend or a family member who bought a house and just really, really loved their agent and said they did serve them well, you know, or you work with a housing counselor, someone like myself, wherever you are, and you get a referral from their list. Um, in our case, you know, I've been in the industry for like seven to eight years. Um, our agent list has changed but there are a couple who have been on there since day one and continue to do really well by our clients. So they stay. Um, so, you know, we work with people really closely over a long period of time over multiple transactions. So we probably have a lot of experience with people, you know, more than just like an individual, you know, who was one person and one transaction. Um, so I like our lists best, but, you know, friends and family can also be good sources too. What would make it like what okay. and when picking a realtor, what I guess makes one better than the other? I, mm. does, do some have access to properties, others don't? Mm. <laughs> Sticky questions. Um, uh, you know, I, it, that's possible. Um, I don't know how likely it is. I would say to anybody that you definitely want to work with a real estate agent who is familiar with the area that you're looking to buy. Um, so, like, we might have people, for example, like we had a client who was selling their house over in Virginia Highlands and wanting to buy over in West End. And they asked me, like, should I use my same real estate agent? And I said, well, you know, you could, but it might be a better idea for you to, to use two because your current agent is familiar with Virginia Highlands, which is going to be a different market, different neighborhood than West End. 
So you might want a West End focused agent who knows the market, who knows the community, who knows the real estate here, who knows what's a good price for a property in West End. Um, and yes, occasionally uh, there are real estate agents, If you, especially if you live here, if you're plugged into the community, it's very possible that an agent might have a neighbor come to them and say, hey, I want you to list my house. I'm not really ready today, but I want to list it by the end of July. You know, they might catch wind because of that and know that there's a property coming that's not quite on the market yet, but it's coming soon. And you might get some inside information, especially if they're local to the community that you're trying to buy in. That does, okay. that does happen. I have a, um, a slightly table shaking question that's not on the list. So has um i had an interesting conversation my sister recently bought a house uh, well like six months ago but you know when she was looking you know i had a conversation with one of her um one of her like one of her realtors i don't know if that was our final realtor but somebody who was showing her the house and it was so hilarious because i'm sometimes like too woke <laughs> you know like too twitter woke and i kind of baited her into white explaining gentrification Ooh. to me because this was in the East Atlanta area and she was saying how they have that big golf course over there and they wanted to kind of, she didn't realize that she was explaining something quite terrible, but like pushing mm. people out of the neighborhood and had the um, Eastwick projects mm. over there and it kind of was bringing down the property. So um, my question for you is like, how has gentrification affected, you know, Ooh. your work? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, so, uh, like I said earlier in the call, you know, when I first came to Committed to Communities, I was tasked with doing outreach in the neighborhoods around us that between 2011 and like 2016, we were heavily promoting because nobody wanted to buy here uh, for that time. And then shoot forward, we stopped. <laughs> so we stopped doing neighborhood open house tours um, because we realized that they don't need it anymore. And we didn't want to necessarily contribute to making these neighborhoods seem hotter, if you will, in terms of a buy than, I don't say hotter than they are, but we didn't want to draw more attention here. There's already enough attention here. Um, so it's, it's made it definitely harder. It's made it so that, you know, I've seen my clients from 2015 and 2016, who kind of joined in at that time when I was doing a lot of aggressive outreach, you know, having dreams of buying in the same neighborhood that they were renting. And now those dreams are, they, they know that's not going to happen. Um, so that's sad. Um, for example, like clients who maybe have re were renting in Adair Park paying $600, $700 a month you know, wanting a mortgage of around that amount or maybe up to 800. Like now, I don't know if you can touch a house in a dare park for under 250, like hmm. probably higher than that. And so now it's just completely unaffordable to them in a very short timeline, in a very short time window. Um, so that's been a little sad. Uh, I've also seen clients of mine, even clients who are newer, you know, client, a, I had a client who came into my office first meeting in January, who was pretty ready, had some good savings, um, fresh out of college, you know, definitely needing down payment assistance and was approved for a mortgage of like 130 and wanted to buy something in the city. Uh, two years ago, that would have been totally doable. Like, and they would have had choice, like of what neighborhood they want to go to, right? 
now it's been six months. Uh, they're still looking and they keep getting outbid and outbid and outbid. And they've had to downgrade their wants or I shouldn't say they've had to, but they've chosen to downgrade their wants in a property because they prioritize being close to the city. Location. Right. But whereas two years ago, it wouldn't have been that much of a challenge to find them a property. Now we're six months in and they're still looking and the properties that they're getting are just not really what they imagined. So what your dollar can buy you has definitely gone down a lot. Um, in one hand, like in one hand, that's good for some of our neighborhoods in Southwest Atlanta that the values were very depressed for a long time. So now, I mean, I'm happy in one hand that we have our value back. But on the other hand, we've definitely lost a lot of affordability. And I don't know if it's coming back. And I don't know, like, there's not many places we still have it. And I think that that's a big problem that I don't think the city has done enough to address and try to protect people from displacement and try to really protect and preserve affordable housing and home ownership. Hmm. So that's a hard question. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my clients have like decided to buy an East Point instead and College Park and are just moving further out because they still want or they still need, right, four bedrooms because they have, you know, three kids. Like they can't compromise. So it's just pushed them further to the perimeter or OTP so they can have the type of house they need uh, at a cost they can afford. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh yeah, it's coming. Because there's only because there's no other option for buyers looking for affordable properties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 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 Definitely. <laughs> no, I do the question thing. That was a great question. <laughs> Not an easy one to answer. <laughs> mm. Mm. Um, so for schools, I think like a lot of the school rankings and like, uh, there's school rankings like available online through APS. Um, I would say, and I say this a lot to anybody like kind of trying to get acquainted with new neighborhoods, if they're going to buy somewhere where they've never really lived before. Um, I like to suggest going to the neighborhood community association meeting period. Um, it's pretty easy typically to find like the city of Atlanta has all of the neighborhood associations that exist in the city on their website. If you just Google like neighborhood association, Westview, you'll find it on the city of Atlanta site and you can see where they meet and when, and I would recommend anyone to go to that meeting and go maybe go to more than one. Um, understand like the people who are there, understand the concerns they have, you know, talk to people who already live there, understand the challenges, um, you know, talk to the residents themselves. And then, you know, if you can find them, I also usually recommend like joining the Facebook page for the neighborhood group. Most neighborhoods have their own Facebook group as well. 
So join the Facebook page and see what people are talking about. And you might also see certain events like a block party or a yard sale, even like anything that might be happening in the neighborhood that you can go to, to actually meet people who really live there and get their perspective. Um, Cause I can't speak on behalf of anyone neighborhood. And even if I did, it would still be biased towards me and my experience. So you really want to hear from multiple people to get a sense of it and just kind of attend it yourself and see how you feel and if you like it or not. On that note, we're going to wrap up the episode. Can't thank you enough, Tani, for you know coming on the uh, podcast and giving us such valuable information. Can I do a quick plug of our organization and how people can find us? Cool, cool. So I'm definitely, personally, I'm really... I'm really passionate about helping young professionals build wealth, especially through home buying, um, especially young people of color. Like I love it all day. I want to help you do that. So if that's something anyone listening wants help with in Metro Atlanta, um, our website is committed to communities. That's T-O, communities. Uh, my business line is 678-718-7222. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under committed to communities or some very close version of that. Um, and I think that's about it, but yeah, feel free to just give us a call, drop us an email. You can find our workshops online and register and sign up, or you can submit a form if you want to do a one-on-one, um, and I'll respond back to you, you know, let you know what the calendar looks like and what you need to bring. Boom. And I'll be happy to help you kind of get everything in order so you can buy a home and build some wealth. This has been on my grown the podcast. I'm your co-host Rodney Boyd. And I'm Melanie Mitchell and boom, hope y'all learned something, (laughs) heathens. Y'all probably mad we're not talking about booty or something. <laughs> but, but yeah. Uh yeah, that's it, right? We done. All right, bye. <laughs>